Welcome back to Brailcast Extra. My name is Matthew Horspool, and coming up this time, we're delighted to bring you the recording of the first session in a series entitled Braille Music Let's Tackle the Basics. This first session took place on Monday, the 26th of April 2021, on a new social network called Clubhouse. It was hosted by longtime friend of the Brailists from Dublin, Stuart Lawler, and blind musician also from Ireland, Roisin Dern. In this session, we debunked some myths about Braille music. We shared some resources for getting started with the Braille music code. We heard about notes and note values, sharps, flats and naturals, time signatures and their placement, key signatures and their placement. And we finished with a fascinating conversation about the world of Braille music, how people are using it, where they get their Braille music from, and a whole lot of other very useful and interesting information. So without further ado, I'll pass it over to Stuart Lawler to introduce the session. So I thought tonight we would talk a little bit about Braille music and maybe to to start, I will talk about why I wanted to do this. and for people who don't know me, I'm Stuart Lawler. And in the context of tonight, I am a, um, I am an occasional uh, musician, but I have a, um, a degree in music uh, from um, University College Cork here in the south of Ireland, which I got in 1997. And uh, when I was graduating from college, I was interested in being a sound engineer, but it just wasn't, re- it wasn't realistic at the time. It probably would have been nowadays, or even three or four years later, it might have been. Um, but I enjoy exploring music and I enjoy playing piano. Um, but one thing I did realize as I was going through college was that I probably could have done my degree without Braille music, but it wouldn't have been as as exciting or as um, enjoyable or as inclusive. And I think I would have missed out a lot. And I'm very glad that I learned to read Braille music in school. Um, I wanted to try to demystify uh, some of the myths about Braille music that I've heard over the years, some things that I believe are just not true. Of course, if, you, uh, if you'd like to disagree or you, you think there are, some of these things are true, then please let me know. Um, the first thing I've heard many people say is, it's too hard. It's too hard. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. And you could, you could say that about anything, couldn't you? About learning a language, you could say Braille maths is too hard. Uh, you could say learning JAWS or NVDA or voiceover. It's too hard. I won't bother. But it, it's not hard, actually, at all, as hopefully you will see when we go along. The second thing which grates on me dreadfully is that blind people have great ears. And maybe a lot of us have, or a lot of us our ears because we've used them a lot more. And I will absolutely say that as blind musicians, using Braille music, we have to be able to adapt. We have to be able to use other cues as well. So when I was in college, I, I will admit I, I learned, I did probably 85, 90% of my stuff by ear because it was just quicker at the time and because I didn't a lot of the piano music that I was learning to play at the time. But I did read, I did have all, I don't know, six volumes, I think, of the Bach chorales. Uh, and I think I still have them somewhere and I really enjoyed reading them and learning to play them on the piano. So I think, you know, yes, use your ear, but uh, explore the reading as well. And the other thing about maybe using your ear versus reading, if you only ever listen to something, you are copying somebody else's um, 
interpretation of a piece of music. It's not really your own. So at least if you have the opportunity to read it and listen, you can make your own judgments then. Uh, the other one I've heard of is it's too slow. And this is this is somewhat valid, I think, of all of all the ones. This is has some case. Yes, Braille music is slow. It's slow to read. Of course it is. You're reading with your two hands, then you have to stop. And for those of us who are pianists, it takes a very long time. And that's why I chose very carefully what I was going to read in Braille music in college. And I will be very honest to say that if you put a piano piece in front of me now, um, I would have to go away and really spend time at it to, to be able to play it uh, for you at the next session. So yes, it is slow, but it's well worth it and it's really enjoyable. And then the other one I hear all the time is it's hard to access music. And yes, if we had said this, if you, someone had said this 10 years ago, I might have said yes, it's, it can be harder. But there's a lot of Braille libraries now who are archiving their Braille material into um, e-format Braille. Or, um, and there's a lot of scores and a lot of music available uh, on demand, and that's going to increase over time. So there's loads of Braille music out there. You just need to know where to look. And now that we're all online, it's so, so easy. Uh, one absolute no-no that I think is worth mentioning, and that is I strongly advise for anyone who's here that you do not try to learn Braille music and literary Braille at the same time. Best to look to you if you do, and if it succeeds, fair play to you, because I wouldn't have been able to do it. And I, it's very funny. I know two-sighted people who tried it and really didn't, really found it very, very difficult and stopped. And I know one-sighted person who started with Braille music and then learned uh, literary Braille a lot later. So it's doable. It's possible to learn them both in isolation. I think it's very tricky to take them both on at the same time, as you'll see when we start looking at notes. Uh, just before we maybe stop for questions, a couple of things about where to get started. So after tonight, if you're kind of going away from this session and say, I want to get going on this, how can I have a, you know, what's, what's out there to help me? I think one of the best services is the um, music service from um, RNIB. Uh, they have the music advisory service, music advisory team, and uh, they've been going for years and they're really good and offer a lot of practical help for musicians of all levels and all stages. There are a few books that I've come across in my time that I wanted to flag. One is, and it's still around, I think it was written in the late 70s, and I used it when I was learning Braille music. It's called Braille Music for Beginners by Joan Partridge. I, I, it's a bit, it's not the most exciting thing you'll ever read, but it's, it's logical and it's well, it's well written, I suppose, if you want an intro to Braille music. So that's one. Uh, the other one is um, called um, A Course in Braille Music, and this is by a lady named Maeve Smith, who is a piano teacher here uh, in Ireland and a Braille music teacher and a dedicated teacher for many, many years. Maeve taught myself and many other people to read Braille music, and she's again passionate about it and her course in braille music uh, book is available uh, for purchase here through child vision which is the national education center for blind children uh, in dublin so you can go to childvision.ie if you want to know more about that book or you can get in touch with us on twitter and we'll give our contact details 
at the end. There's a really good book called Focus on Music by Lisette Wesling, the late Lisette Wesling uh, from New Zealand. Another really good book uh, available, I believe, from Technovision or through the RNIB Music Advisory Service. And there's a book called Who's Afraid of Braille Music by Richard Tesh and Bill McCann. Uh, and this is definitely another one uh, worth looking at. This is available from dancingdots.com and uh, a great book to get people started on Braille music. This might be a good place to stop for any general questions, if anyone has any or wants to make any comments before we get on to the, the meat of the session, which is beginning to look at Braille music. Hey, this is Alex. I've got okay. um, a 20th Braille display. I think you actually know about this one. It's Orbit Ridge 20. Sure. And um, I'm wondering for, for Braille music, do you have any tips for reading piano scores? Because it, I find it quite frustrating to see bar numbers, for example, either in the middle or right at, I mean, at the far right of the <laughs> display. And I'm like, oh man, I, I think I should return to paper actually. <laughs> Alex, you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me, right? You're gonna go mad maybe when you hear this. I don't read any, or uh, rather, I'll correct that. I have read almost no Braille music on Braille display because I I'm a little bit like you. I find it quite difficult. I've been so used to multi-line viewing more than one line at, at a time, which let's face it, in Braille music can sometimes be really important. Um, that doesn't mean that it's something I I want to do, but it's definitely tricky and i think again going back to rnib i think there was some work done in the past about formatting braille in such a way that you could read more than one line at a time on a single line braille display and i think they were doing that by using the what was called the old bar by bar method where you'd have oh. a bar of right hand then a bar of left hand now on a 20 cell display that might be tight but it 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 might be worth exploring that with the RNIB Music Advisory Service. And I don't know, again, I don't wanna, I don't wanna name uh, Matthew again, because I feel I'm pulling him into the, but Matthew may have something, some comments on that, I don't know. Um, not materially uh, anything more than you've already said, Stuart, except to point out there was a paper at the ICEB General Assembly in October, 2020 called Braille Music in a Digital Age. Uh, it was written by Roger Furman and Claire Guylands. It was actually presented by Roger Furman and James Bowden. And that paper did some discussion. James had done some reading of Braille music on an Orbit reader. And uh, he related it to the bar-by-bar method of reading, which mm. may be a bit technical for, for people on this course. But the paper, if you go to uh, live.braillecast.com, the audio is there and if you go to iceb.org somewhere on the iceb website there will be a link to all of the papers and you can read the text of that paper and that may give you some insight into whereabouts we are at the moment or at least where we were six months ago okay any other comments at this point anybody want to make any comments or ask anything uh i was just curious um Stuart, the um the books that you mentioned, would they come with um, um, like an audio CD or something? Because if you haven't read Braille before, like myself, then it's going to be just a, a book of bump. <laughs> so, so this is a great question. And I'm, I'm sorry I keep saying this is a great question, but they really are great questions. 
Um, and would you believe last week I was talking to Maeve Smith, who wrote the course in Braille Music that I mentioned a, a moment ago. And she is relaunching. So, so what she's doing is she's making a book for teachers uh, that's going to be initially in print. But one of the things she wants to do is do exactly what you're suggesting, produce um, an audio companion to that book. Now, initially, Brilliant. that will have all the pieces being played on the piano. So you may not have the text, but you'd at least have the musical examples on yeah. piano. I am not aware of any of those books. The Richard Tesh book, possibly, we'd have to check with Bill McCann of Dancing Dots, and I will get in touch with Bill because he might be an interesting yeah. guy to try to get on a session here in the future. Uh, I have a feeling the Richard Tesh stuff may be available, but Joan Partridge, Lisette Westling, I don't believe they are. Right. Um, there is yeah, that's a basically what I was looking just that companion tutorial to go along yeah, with it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you want companion tutorials, it may be worth looking at. I know the Hadley School for the Blind in the US did have a Braille music course before. Right. Uh-huh. Might be worth exploring because they normally have some kind of interactive stuff to accompany the Braille. So uh, yeah. it might be lo- uh, worth looking at Hadley. Okay. Grand. Thanks. Okay, so we're going to, um, thanks for the, for the questions, everybody. We're going to focus on three things tonight. Um, and I know we're going, we're going relatively slowly, but next week, or rather next month, we will be, uh, we will be looking at, uh, we'll be moving a little, maybe a little bit faster, and we'll be using the piano as well. Uh, I should say, by the way, before I move off the, the p- subject of Braille Music Resources, um Roisin made a point earlier on we were chatting about this and she was asking me are the books uh that i was referencing only available in um in braille um in hard copy braille and to the best of my knowledge they are although again going back to the the mave smith one and that the only reason i keep mentioning this is because i have had a sort of a hand in it um that book is available digitally as so we could potentially make it available as a brf file um but the others uh, to the best of my knowledge are not again rnab music advisory service may be able to give you some further guidance on that but it was a good question i just wanted to mention that so we're going to talk about notes and note values and one of the the one of the things you will realize when you talk about braille music to sighted musicians and it's really interesting is because sighted musicians obviously sort of start with crotchets, minims, semi-briefs, and then they go back to quavers at the end. We, as Braille music readers, always start with quavers. The quaver is like the foundation of everything. And when we add uh, dots onto the note, it builds. So I'm going to just run through the scale, starting with the note C, as quavers. And you will see, if you haven't explored this before, don't worry. And if it sounds a bit complicated, you will see very quickly there's a nice little sequence here. So the note C in Braille music is is written as one, four, and five. And if you're a Braille reader, you might think that's the letter D, which it is. So dots one, four, and five in English Braille is the letter D. In Braille, Braille music, it's the letter C. The note D in braille music is written with dot one and five the note e is with is written with dot one two and four the note f is written with dots one two four and five 
The note G is written with dots one, two, and five. The, notes, the note A is written with dots two and four. And the note B is written with dots two, four, and five. Now, when I was learning Braille music, and this is, you know, really interesting. It just shows how different people learn. When I was learning Braille music, and a lot of my peers at the time, and I think people who came after us, were saying to our teacher, ah, right, okay, so C is D and D is E. And she'd say, no, what, what do you mean? And we, and we real, and we've, I've chatted to her about this since, and we've laughed about it, and she's realized that was because she never read um, literary Braille. She was going straight into Braille music, so she couldn't understand why we were mixing all these notes up. But now when you teach Braille music to kids, they'll just say things like, oh yeah, um, G is H. And, and, and my view on that is, if that helps you remember it, doesn't matter. If you want to say A is I, because A, remember, is dots two and four, that's fine. If it helps you get it into your head, that's fine. And we'll, you'll see this in a few minutes when we talk about crotchets and minims as well. So that's the scale of C. So just to go through them again, C quaver, we have one, four, and five. Going to quaver, uh, sorry, C quaver is dots one, four, and five. I'm not gonna say D, because I think I will confuse people. Then we move to D quaver, dots one and five. E quaver, dots one, two, and four. F quaver dots one, two, four, and five. G quaver dots one, two, and five. Um, A quaver dots two and four. And B quaver dots two, four, and five. Now, when we go to crotchets, we simply add a dot six to all of those. So C quaver now becomes dots one, four, five, and six. And what did the blind kids say when they were learning Braille? Ah, oh, C, C, or sorry, C crotchet is dots one, four, five, and six. The blind kids said, oh, C crotchet is TH doesn't matter. If that's how it helps you remember it, that's fine. C crotchet dots one, four, five, and six. D crotchet dots one, five, and six. E crotchet dots one, two, four, and six. Um, F crotchet dot one, two, four, five, and six. G crotchet dot one, two, five, and six. A crotchet dot two, four, and six. And B crotchet dot two, four, five, and six. The ones that used to always get me with in the crotchets that I just had a mental block on were G and B. And I still have, doing this for you tonight, I still had to almost check myself. And I go, oh yeah, G is OU and B is W. And in my head, that just works. So that's how we do it with crotchets. We add a dot six. With minims, we add a dot three. So C, the minim now becomes dots one, four, five, and three, or one, three, four, five, if you prefer. Uh, uh, moving to D as a minimum is one, three, five. E, one, two, three, and four. F as a minimum, one, two, three, four, five. G, one, two, three, five, six. A as a minimum, two, three, four, six. Uh, and B as a minimum, uh, dots two, three, four, and five. And again, if you want to think of these as letters, then that's fine. Um, I, I, I possibly, um, I possibly, am assuming uh, too much. So, so apologies because I should have mentioned at the start that, of course, a quaver is a half beat. Um, uh, sorry, um, a quaver is a quaver is an eighth note. Um, a crotchet is one beat. So, if you've one crotchet beat, there's one beat. 
a minimum is two beats and a semi um, a semi brief, which we're going to talk about in a sec, is four beats. There are also dotted notes, which we'll come back to later. So uh, quaver half, crotchet one, minimum two, and semi brief, which we're going to talk about now, adds dots three and six into the mix. So we've already added dot six for crotchet, dot three for a minimum, and now you're adding dot three and six. So your C becomes dots one, three, four, five, and six. D becomes dots one, three, five, and six. Uh, e becomes dots one, two, three, four, and six. F is all six dots, one to six. G is one, two, three, five, and six. A is two, three, four, six. And, um, and B is two, three, four, five, six. Now, if you're totally confused, don't worry. Uh, and this is why I do recommend one of the resource books, any of those books I've mentioned earlier, because they do take you through this step by step and getting used to understanding. Once you understand the logic of where the dot six is added, where the dot three is added and where the dot three and six is added, it makes a lot of sense. If you see a dot three after a note, it means it's a dotted note. So there is a dot after it. So for example, uh, a dotted minimum would be counted for three beats if we're, in, if we're in four, four time. So C as a minimum would be dots one, three, four, and five, followed by uh, the dot three after it would be held for three beats. They are our notes and note values. Um, and when we talk, and in the next session, we'll be talking about octave signs and pitching, and uh, it'll make it a little more, uh, a little more concrete, hopefully, for people's understanding. Strict, do we want to maybe see if anyone has any absolutely, questions? Absolutely. After that, yeah. I'm I'm a braille reader music, and my brain is fried after that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is Chanel, and okay. I. So are we also are. Are you using those minims and crotchet and whatever? Are those synonymous with half half note, quarter note? Yes, you have to forgive me. I, yes, that's right. Half, quarter, and whole, isn't it? I knew you were going to or get into eight. this trouble. So, <laughs> yeah, quaver. so the minimum, is, the minimum is the half, the quarter is the... Oh, I need Bill McCann here to tell me. The quarter is the crotchet. Okay, yes, because I, I did take the basic Hadley course, and oh my goodness, learning Braille music and as, an, as an adult is much harder when you're used to playing by ear. But anyway, I'll give the stage up to somebody else. So thank you very much. That's a very interesting observation, actually. Yeah. This is Alex again, uh, hopefully with a short question again. Um, I was just curious, I mean, you might, uh, from your description, it looks like... Um, Pitches and note values are kind of linked in Pro, but what if you want to show pitches only or rhythm only? Yeah. I mean, is, is yeah. it possible to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to show rhythm only, um, now this is where this is where I'm going to uh, I'm going to there there will be points in these sessions, by the way. And I should have said this to Roshin earlier, but there will be points in these sessions where I tell you something and then I say, this is my way of doing it. The purists, because there are there are a few different ways of doing this. And when we come to octave signs next week or next next month, I have a view on 
one or two things in relation to octave signs. In relation to rhythms, the easiest way, in my view, to write a rhythm is on the note C. So use C for everything. So if we wanted to write quaver, quaver, crotchet, minimum, quaver, we would write dots 145, 145, 1456, 1345, 145. And you're keeping everything on the note C. Uh, in, in regard to your question about pitch, I, I would probably answer that by just saying use quavers. If you, so you, you're asking, you, you don't want to write any values, just pitch, just notes. That's correct. Although yeah. in print, if I'm not mistaken, they either appear all as crotchets or uh, semi-briefs, one of two. But yeah, perhaps in Braille to, you, to read them even faster, perhaps it's, it's great to... Just, yeah. just to clarify, because I, 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 um, I used to use sheet music, like printed sheet music. Um, so um, if you're just writing pitch, you would normally write a, a, a yeah, like a semi-brief or uh, crotchets. In Braille, I think it's easiest to just use the quavers, isn't it, Stuart? Can I just come in um, briefly yeah. at this point as somebody who um, reads Braille music but perhaps doesn't read it very well? Um, certainly, in my experience, uh, a certain amount of this is down to transcribers' discretion. So there are things called stem signs for yes. representing rhythm. I have not seen them used very often. Um, but normally, if they're going to deviate from print, what they'll do is deviate from print and then write a transcriber's note, either in a note to Braille edition or in a square bracket paragraph above that says these notes are written in quavers in the print they're written in crotchets or what have you and as long as the transcriber does that then most people don't really mind and and everybody gets on fine yeah and i completely agree with matthew and it's interesting stem signs so i have i rarely i think i saw them first when i was in college so i did my whole school school system here in ireland using braille music never having seen them and that was in part because the um, the teachers who were teaching us Braille music felt, rightly or wrongly, I, I don't know, that, it, that, 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 mu that music can be complicated enough without adding lots of additional signs. So again, it, exactly what you say, Matthew, it, was, it goes back to the transcribers, the people who were producing um, the exam papers would kind of almost have an agreement, okay, we're going to use C for rhythms, we're going to use whatever quavers if we need to write pitch. And that was kind of told to us, this is, this is the way we do it because this is going to be the most straightforward way for you to efficiently read Braille music in an exam. Doesn't necessarily mean it's the way it's done all over. And certainly when I would have read some Braille music when I was in college, th there were some signs I'd never seen before. And I had to sort of go off and, and look them up. So yeah. Does anyone else want to raise their hands? Uh, <clears throat> hello, this is Oleg in Moscow. Hi, Oleg. Uh, hi. Uh, I have a question about, say, a standard textbook on Braille music, and here's why I'm asking it. I was learning and reading Braille music in the 70s and 80s and 90s of the last century, but today we're in 2021, and I assume that with, say, computerized <clears throat> Braille entry and also new things developing in music, I assume there may have been some changes in the music code 
maybe related to UEB or whatever. I mean, literally Braille changed. So I was wondering how music Braille has changed in English-speaking countries since the 80s. And if I was to take a refresher and was to, to find a resource, a definite resource of how music is supposed to be transcribed, what would that be? And one of the reasons why I'm asking it, because in the resources that I had in the 80s, a lot depended on the desire of the transcriber. So the transcriber sees it this way, and there was plenty of freedom. So what is today the definite uh, resource to go to for answers to questions? And how much freedom does a transcriber have? Thank you. Okay, so I'm going to say um, ICEB here, the International Council on English Braille, and ICEB, I guess, oversee and maintain a whole range of codes, including music. They have a, a very active music committee. And you're quite right, Olek. There's been a lot of work done in the last couple of years about in relation to music and UEB. So things like, for example, lyrics. How do you, how do you make sure you're following the UEB rules and UEB standards and correctly incorporating music where there's a mix of music and text? Saying that, remember that music is, the music code stands on its own. So you could pick up a piece of Braille music from, you know, 1970, whatever you said when you were reading it, and it would still be, be correct today. But uh, ICEB have a, a music committee. I would suggest you look back, um, as Matthew has mentioned, the papers from the last uh, ICEB midterm exec meeting, uh, sorry, exec meeting, which were on, or uh, sorry, General Assembly, which was on last year. Um, and there is a lot of reports there, including reports from the music committee. So you can see some of the work that that group have been doing. I'd, um, I'd just add once again, again, without trying to um, overcomplicate things, because ICEB is a good answer and ICEB have a lot of very useful information. Um, the absolute definitive resource for transcribers would be something like the New International Manual of Braille Music Notation, um, shortened to NIM. I can't remember if it's NIM or NIMM, or no, it can't be NIMM. It just must I be think, just yeah, I think it's NIM. NIM. Yeah. But yeah, NIM, New International Manual of Braille Music, would, would be the definitive resource for transcribers supplemented by guidelines from the various countries, like, you know, so ICEB, but then also UCAF in the UK. Um, InBAF may have some. Braille Authority mm -hmm. of North America may have some, and, and so on and so on. It's also a great uh, resource, Matthew, if you're just if you're sitting there and you, you see a sign, you just don't know what it is. If you have the new international manual handy and it's not a small book, by the way, if you want the Braille version. And I don't know what what um, what revision we're on at the moment. Um, I have a there have feeling been, there have it's a yeah, I, the last one that I've got is 1997, but that doesn't That's, necessarily mean it's the, the most up to date one. I wondered, I wondered, has it been? I have a feeling because I thought I heard something that there was a newer one, but I had the 1997 and when we were in school, our teacher had the, I think it was the 1955 or something, and it was a huge thing with loads of volumes. So really interesting. But I agree, it's a great, great resource. Judy Dixon here. Ah, Judy, welcome. Thank you, Stuart. You did a great job of describing what ICEB does. I'm glad I, I did when the president is in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I am not a real music person, uh, so I have little to contribute in that regard. But I do want to say that ICEB is having conversations about updating the International Music Manual. Apparently, there are um, whole areas of music, such as Asian music and chant and so forth, that are just not covered. 
and we're trying to get a sense of where the manual is not people's meeting people's needs and what people need from it that they're currently not getting so if you all have any thoughts about that that would be really helpful yeah and i'm interesting there's probably uh there's probably some irish music that might be might fit into that roshin you you might have thoughts on that too I mean, even yeah absolutely like channels you know um, yeah but even 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 irish dance music yeah um, isn't isn't played as it's written yeah you know because it's it's an oral tradition Okay, are we ready to move on to talk a bit about time signatures and how they're written? And this is a lot, this is a lot more straightforward, by the way. So we'll get through time signatures and key signatures, and then everybody can take a big breath. Um, Let's go for it. So time signatures in Braille music uh, are written in the way that you would have, uh, it's changed slightly now, but in the way that you would have written fractions back before UEB math. Uh, and essentially we write the first part of the time signature in the um, upper part of the braille cell and the second part in the lower cell. So for example, for two, four, two crotchet beats in a bar, you would write number sign two, lower four. For three, four, we do number sign three, lower four, 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 number sign four with lower four. Uh, four, four can also be referred to as common time so there's a separate sign for common time, which is dot four six, followed immediately afterwards by dot one four. And six eight is uh, uh, the number sign six, followed by low eight, uh, or low h. And uh, I think I was talking to somebody who's in this, who's in the room actually about a, a piece the other day that's in nine eight. So you can obviously take this yourself and you can write nine eight, which would be number sign nine, followed by lower eight. That's time signatures. Now, a little bit about placement, I suppose, and this now we're talking a little bit about formatting, and we'll talk about key signatures in a sec. The time signature is always centered above the music, above the first line of music. So if I have a 16 bar melody, first thing I'm gonna look for is what time signature is this thing in? What time is it in? So I'm gonna look at the first, I'm gonna look center above the first line, there's my time signature. That's not exclusive though. If you have a four bar melody and it will all fit on one line, it is okay to put the time signature at the start of the line and put a space and then start your music. And we'll be talking about spacing next week in our next session when we talk about octave signs as well. Now key signatures, uh, you know about sharps and flats, of course. Um, the sharp sign is dots one, four, and six. It's the SH sign, so that's an easy one to remember. SH means sharp. The flat sign is dots one, two, and six, which is GH. And again, I think those of us who learned uh, literary braille before used to just think, oh, GH flat, SH sharp. Uh, so if we had maybe say something in the key of D major, we would have two sharp signs followed by a number sign and say it's in three, four. So centered on the line above the music, we would have two sharps immediately followed by a number sign and three, four, and that's all joined together. Now, you can imagine, what if you have something that has six sharps, gets a bit manic? No, you don't have to put six sharp signs. If you go over four, you can put sharps, you can put a number sign, five sharp sign, number sign, three, four, for example. So that would be five sharps, 
in the key in the or with the time signature of three four. Similar for the flats, and the natural sign is dots one and six or ch. So sharps one four and six, flats one two and six, and natural. <clears throat> excuse me, is one and six. And similar, similarly, as I said earlier, if you have a, a short melody, and you'd often see this on an exam paper, maybe you're given a two-bar melody and maybe maybe there's something being played. You're, you're hearing a four-bar melody, the first two bars are given. You'll normally see all on one line. Maybe it's in the key of uh, A major. You'll see three sharps, number sign, four, four, space, and the first two bars all together on the same line. That's perfectly correct. It's also fine if the if it's centered above but for short melodies it's also okay to put them on the one line and that is all we are covering tonight you'll be glad to know you've done really well uh being able to uh being able to digest notes and note values we've done quavers crotchets minims and semi-briefs uh we've talked about time signatures and key signatures and we have shared with you some resources where you can get going yourself if you want to explore Braille music a little bit more. So I'm happy to throw it over for questions, Roisin. Yeah, floor is open. Um, hi guys, this is Kevin speaking. Um, I'm a pianist and composer, and I just wondered um, if anyone knows about a book um, called Focus on Braille Music, and it was written by yes. my late teacher, Lizette Westling. Oh, yeah. And it's a brilliant book, isn't it, as an intro to Braille Music. Is that still being sold anywhere? Do you know so I mean? first of all, I'm so glad you mentioned it again, because we did mention it, Kevin. I think you probably just weren't here. We did yeah. reference it in the list of resources. I never met uh, Lizette Westling, Westling, but I wish I had, because yeah, she was I just amazing. heard nothing but amazing things about her. Um, <laughs> So I believe it's available uh, through Technovision, George Bell in the UK. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would also get in touch with the RNIB Music Advisory Service because those guys seem to know what's hot at any one time. But I'm, I'm glad you've given it a mention again because it's a great book. Yeah, it really is. And uh, yeah, Lizette could write Braille so fast. I always used to say like she used to make them Braille machines smoke. <laughs> like She would just wow. power through Braille music like it was nothing. It was amazing watching that. Any tips on, on teaching Braille music? Because I've always used it as a very functional thing, but never looked at how to teach it. So <laughs> I'm intrigued to see how you guys go through that. Yeah, I'm actually, would you believe, after all the resource books I mentioned um, in planning this one, I'm using something that we developed here for parent for for, for parents to, to work along with their kids and for sighted music teachers. So it breaks everything right down. Um, but the books I've mentioned do pretty much the same thing. It's just it, it's done in a slightly different way here. Um, but I, I know for teachers, the, uh, the Who's Afraid of, of Braille Music is would be particularly good. Mm -hmm. It depends why you're asking the question as well, um, Kevin. If you're working with a sighted musician, some of the books are available in print. Uh, so uh, the Joan Partridge Braille Music for the Piano is available in print as well as in Braille. Uh, Focus on Braille Music, as you know, is also available in print uh, and Braille. So if you're mm -hmm. working with sighted musicians, if you're trying to teach a sighted musician, 
uh, how you read music because it is different to print notation or or vice versa. A sighted person's trying to you know teach so their blind child or what have you. Um, that's also an option. Yeah, and maybe we'll do a little bit. Um, I was probably do this when we talk about octave signs, but we might spend a bit of time just about on language, because when you're exactly as you say, um, Matthew, when you're when you're uh, when you're learning music, but also when you're dictating music to a blind person, or you as a blind person, maybe calling something out to a sighted person. And it's really interesting. When I was studying in college, the people, the, the friends who I was on in the course, um, who had no experience of Braille music and didn't know how to read it and didn't know how to read Braille, but they got very used very quickly to saying things like fourth octave G crotchet, fifth octave D minimum, because it's just easy. And some people will tell you, and this is really interesting, some people who read print will tell you, this is easier than what we're looking at. So it's kind of funny. Stuart, may I, may I ask a question? Please. I'm just conscious that um, this, uh, by the way, this is brilliant. Uh, really enjoyed this evening. Um, but I'm just conscious of the fact that you still kind of have to learn you know, you still have to to remember the the braille music in your head before you're playing it because you're not yeah. actually you can't actually stop, you know, start, stop, start, stop. So I'm wondering, how did you begin that process, or what process did, did you use when trying to remember uh, a piece? Yeah, it's a and it's that is, I I think it goes back to what I was saying originally about you always have to use your other. Use your, I mean, the, this thing of, oh, sure, blind people have great ears. And be interested to maybe to hear Matthew's comments on this or Kevin or Roisin as well, or anyone else, I suppose. But for me, because I was always learning from ear first, and I did grade, I did up to grade one piano before I ever ha had a Braille music book in my hand. And to be honest, Braille music when I was not nine or 10 was like learning typing. It was a drag. You'd do anything you could to get out of learning it. <laughs> so... I think by the time I was in college, most of the things I learned, the, the Beethoven stuff, for example, I learned on, because my teacher spent hours putting everything on cassette tape and playing two or four bars at a time. And that's how I learned. And the only, for when I was learning to read, when I was just for myself reading the, uh, the Bach chorales, I'd sit for hours in front of a piano. And exactly as you're saying, bar by bar, play it, memorize it go back, play the next bit, then put the two hands together. Took ages, but it also took ages because I didn't do enough of it and because I relied very heavily on my ear. Okay, this is Kevin. I just uh, I want to echo uh, Stuart's experience and, uh, for, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I think like I, I like to listen to a piece, if I can, by ear just to get the overall look of the, uh, you know, sense of the piece. Because obviously I think if you're sighted, you can just glance through a piece of music and get a general idea just by looking at the sheet music, which we can't always do because of the linear nature of, of Braille music. Um, unless you're a really, really uh, fast reader, of course. Um, but like, so for me, I like to um, listen to it just to get a little sense of it and then then really start doing, as Stuart said, learning it bar by bar. And obviously with Braille music, you, you get all of that detail that you can't pick up from uh, from listening to a recording so much like exact the exact dynamic markings yeah. you know from what bar to what bar do you does this did the composer want you to do that crescendo that diminuendo so i think there's where braille music kind of 
comes into its own. And it goes back to, when I, and I know you weren't here at the start, but it goes back to something I said at the start about if you're only, if you're only ever listening, you're copying someone else's interpretation. And okay, you might make a few changes yourself, but ultimately your, your understanding of the piece is based on how someone else decided it should sound. Yeah. Um, it just, you're talking about braille music there, Kevin, on sight reading, reminds me of something I went to in RNIB years ago, and I was, I'm still fascinated by it, but a lady gave a presentation, and I do believe she was low vision, or I think she had quite a, a fair bit of vision, but she was still uh, tagged as low vision. But she had an interesting thing. She didn't read print music. She was reading, she was reading braille music with her eyes, and she used to sight read at the piano with braille music. I thought it was incredible. Wow. Amazing. Um, may I intervene? Please. Uh, first of all, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm from Italy. The name is Andrea Bettini. I'm a blonde musician, uh, pianist, uh, part-time pianist, I should say, of course, because I do our jobs anyway. But uh, when I was working at the Italian Library for the Blind, the Biblioteca di Monza, yeah, which has uh, had, had a, a large uh, collection of uh, scores. And, you know, I've been told by Maestro Antonio Valente, who teaches at the Conservatory in Rome, and he, he's been, um, his, his tactics, tech, tech, <laughs> learning uh, skills, he developed on, listen, on learning uh, and reading uh, far from the piano. For instance, he uh, told me that he would he used to to read on, for instance, back fugues on <laughs> when he was uh, on on the train, and then try to put things together on on the the piano. So uh, I have tried also to develop this technique, which is uh, very useful. You have to be very uh, focused and concentrated it, it doesn't happen so often um in the last uh month i've been studying some uh, you know brahms intermezzi opus 117 uh i find it very interesting of, of course this kind of approach to uh, uh braille uh, to to memorizing uh so it's it, it's another it's another way just it's a different approach to that yeah so this guy was memor was reading the fugues on the train and then obviously being able to memorize and then going to the piano. Yeah. That's that's incredible. Yeah, I Yeah, yeah, and he and but then of course and he uh, it was because he, on, on on the conservatory for instance he had to learn for for his uh uh pupils the uh, Prokofiev piano concerto and of course at that time we didn't have the, in Italy the score of the Prokofiev piano concerto and he had to um, uh, the, make the recording. We we called musica parlata, which spoken music, of course. What you the uh, another person s s plays bar for bar, each bar, and describes the uh, uh, the fingering of the of the of the of the score. So uh, of course now we have the transcription of the Prokofiev piano concerto over in Monza. And so, uh, but he was one of the most important contributors to the development of uh, of uh, our collection here in Italy in the last uh, twenty years from now. Wow! And we often did. The, well, I left this um, in nine. Unfortunately, in the two thousand and five, I left the uh, um, 
the Biblioteca. I was in charge of the Polo Musicale, the musical area of the of the structure, and we did the transcript of Stockhausen, Klavierstücken, and Ligeti, and many contemporary music, which is very difficult to transcribe in Braille because you have to invent a way to represent um, uh, uh, a different uh, uh, way of writing because it's not easy to um, from time to time to make a, a um, tr transpose the uh, uh, print music into braille when you have contemporary music and modern music so it's, it gets it gets complicated anyway thank you thank you very much you're it's welcome really interesting this might be a stupid question um, no such thing because I know that like for example I mean I I learned um, from a a, a, British, a very British kind of um, music. I mean, sorry, not music, but the British terms, like you know, quatrain, quavers, and whatnot. Yeah. And I know that Americans are using um, eight and quarters and whatnot. Ah. So I, I suppose that is that different because of, of course I get all my resources from RNIB Royal National, you know, from 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 Britain. So I'm just wondering, will it be different um, in the American context? in terms of um i suppose now it'll be easier with the ueb braille music yeah yeah i know yeah. i know for example and, I, and i'm sure our friends from from um from the us anyone in, on this call will understand when i was using a book i remember it in in school written by a lady called Anne burroughs it's not one of the reference books i've listed because i couldn't find it i was looking for it recently and it, she seems to have vanished but she's a canadian lady i believe and she kept talking about measures I said, what is a measure no idea what yeah. a measure is. A measure is a bar, but we don't. So yes. I think it's about it's terminology right. sometimes. Yes. But I, I went for a, a couple of days and then said to my teacher, what is a measure? Uh, it never struck with me. So, yeah, terminology, I think, might be the biggest thing. But music is a universal language and brown music is universal. And as you say, with UEB, it's any little little things that we might have done differently. And you'll hear some of mine as we go along we're trying to standardize those as well. You used to say measure in Italian, bar is battuta or misura. That's uh, ah. maybe you should translate it from misura, which is measure, of course, uh, but we have two, two, two synonymous words. Well, I, I am in the United States and I actually took a course that uh, the Hadley Correspondence School for the Blind was offering in making the transition from the old Braille to UEB. But um, it didn't get into Braille music, so there were some changes that made in Braille music um, when they came out with UEB. Is that correct? Yeah, so there have been some changes, not so much. It's, it's more to do with how Braille music and um, English and uh, rather Braille music and UEB coexist. So it's more to do with spacing. And there's some things like, for example, the music brackets where you can push uh, English inside them, where lyrics, where lyrics and music are, um, are, are in the one, one stream, for example, where you might have a line of text and then a line of music. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, what I'll do is I'll pull out a few of the, 
the, the, the main changes and we can go through them in one of the sessions as well. A very good reference book for that is produced by the UEB um, Braille Committee in Australia. It's called um, The Survival Guide for um, Braille music notation oh. but you need to get the ueb version so they have the updated version um and i think if you use a braille display or if you have any um you know soft i mean braille um uh, computer and so on you can probably mm. download it for free um yeah um, um that is i think the major changes is really more for choral music and uh-huh. stuff like that rather yeah. than the traditional i mean they do have some changes on shops and accidentals and flats okay. but not so much for like orchestral music mm-hmm. but i may be wrong but because i was involved in some of the um, ueb discussions before and i think they were there. that's what they're looking at anyway yeah and i was on that for a while and i know the the ones when i was there it was a lot was around lyrics and music and uh maintaining the uh the ueb the UEB rules, I suppose, in, in that transcription whilst keeping the Braille music. George, um, I know you deal with some orchestral music and stuff like that. Do you have any input in terms of reading Braille music in the orchestra context? Hi, everyone. This is George. Um, well, the, um, I don't have much experience working with orchestral scores, although I've discovered many of them last year in this website made by a Chinese man, brailleorc.org. He has unbelievable braille scores that I've never seen in my life, like uh, the integral of the Tchaikovsky symphonies or the Dvorak cello concerto and and things like that. So it, it I got contact with orchestral scores um, there. Um, what I normally work, because I'm a professional pianist, what I work is the orchestral part being reduced for a second piano when I'm working concertos with the uh, other pianists, but uh, the orchestral scores per se, I don't deal with them in, in a daily basis. I work with piano scores. But you, you have to remember just one thing, that of course, orchestral scores, they always have to to go in this uh, parallel mode. This is something yes. I discovered lately with these orchestras, because to see a symphony, uh, Tchaikovsky symphonies, I don't know, I would bet how many volumes is this, but it would be like 10 volumes. It's it's unbelievable. We we it's interesting you mentioned scores and exactly that like volumes and volumes. We um, I was involved a number of years ago in transcribing um, some of the um, exam papers for, for for schools here, and there was a question. There still is a question where they give an excerpt from a score, uh, and for obviously for a sighted student, that's there's only a couple of bars, and it's not a huge amount for them to scan through. But we were looking at this, we were estimating this in Braille was going to be several pages um, additionally to the exam paper. And I remember having a conversation with somebody else at the time and we just, we essentially took the first violin melody, you know, because all they were asked to do was identify the name, uh, name, name the movement from which this excerpt is taken. There's, yeah. there's, there's no, and, and this, I think, goes back to what we talked about earlier about just making things as not not easy, but making things as less as 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 few complications as possible for the braille reader because it is we all know it's it is slower. We talked about this already. Like it is going to take more time, and in an exam situation where people are a little bit more under pressure anyway and feeling stressed, you've kind of got to make some decisions 
Uh, so it goes back to what we say about transcribers. Transcribers have to make decisions for the greater good, I think, sometimes. Oh, just not talking about orchestral scores, uh, Joan, just remind me something. I am actually preparing right now the Carnaval des Animaux de Saint-Saëns. I'll play with oh, a second yeah. piano and I'm working with the orchestral score. It's true. I've heard about that. How many yes. volumes is the Carnival of the Animals in Braille? I have it in I have it in the digital format. I even oh, don't wow. know. I I wonder how it would be. That's a, it's an interesting uh, question. I think the only future for scores like that is to use uh, devices digital. like the Canute yeah. Canute two hundred sixty and things right. like that. Right. And how are you? If you know, I'm asking then. How are you reading your score at the moment in digital? Have you got a Canute? Or are you using something? Else? No, I don't have a Canute. Uh, I I do the the simple thing. I just uh, either print. Well, I have two two ways. Um, one is to basically track the parts of the pianos and just print them in my braille printer. Or I yeah. I didn't do it yet. What I do for the Carnaval des Animaux is a simple thing that I'm almost ashamed of saying. I just put my braille display on top of the piano and I move with the cursor keys because I'm yeah. lazy to print. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the way I do. Yeah, that's the way I learn. Okay. But it's not comfortable to learn. But the thing is that when you use um, a, with a braille display, won't it mess up the bars though? Because then you can't really see it. I suppose on a on a um, braille copy, at least you have the whole page. You can go from one bar to another bar, and because with the um, with mm -hmm. the braille display, you can only see you know what if you have forty cells, you can only see what two bars probably. No, it it, dep it depends pretty much on how the score is laid out and what software you are using. It can be actually very useful to use a Braille display if you are using a software like Braille Music Editor 2 because you can literally jump to the bar you want so it will highlight the bar you need. So you just press keys to move from the next bar or the previous bar of the same voice or the same bar, bar in a different voice. So it, you make a navigation in, in, um, in different angles, either forward or down, up, down, vertical or horizontal navigation. It will highlight the, the bar you need. It's actually very comfortable. So is, is Braille Music Editor software for the computer and then you've attached a Braille display that you can read the score from? Yes, Braille Music Editor 2 is a software uh, produced in Italy for Windows that um, has the capacity of reading and writing writing and reading Braille Music scores. And for me, the best is the... the capacity to import and export music XML. Can I, can I ask, uh, can you write in six key entry in Braille? Like in a, say with the QWERTY keyboard, yes. in six key entry? Yes. And, and can you, you play it back? Yes, you will use it F, D, S yeah. for what, dots one, two, three, J, and K, L for four, five, six. Is this product commercially available? Or yes. Is one? Yes, it is, it's available. It costs around 400 euros. Is it in, in English as well or just Italian? Yes, yes, it's in English. I, I, I'm not Italian, I, I'm from Portugal. I use it in, in English every day. I compo even composed, for example, music XML is, is, is amazing because as you know, it's a universal format for um, mainstream softwares of music. So you can, what Braille Music Editor 2 does is that it has a, a format called BMML which is automatic automatic translation from music XML to, to Braille. So what allows you is that, of course, if you compose the music, you can transfer it to X, music XML and be opened and printed by Sibelius or Finale or Encore. Yeah, or yeah. the opposite, uh, uh, print written, uh, score written in Sibelius or Finale, you can import and translate automatically. Well, right. uh, George, may I, may I just 
make a point on this because I've been a Braille music editor user. Of course, I'm Italian, Italian, and I pre I know pretty well the um, people who are working at this program. The only problem with this uh, software we've been discussing with uh, Mr. Nicotra, who is the uh, the mm -hmm. person who is uh, is uh, the chief of the of this kind of project, is that. Um, it doesn't follow the different uh, updates on Finale. So when I was at the conservatorio here in my in Brescia, where I live, uh, the school uh, bought a newer, uh, the, the, the um, most recent version of Finale. And the conversion from BME to Finale was not successful, unfortunately. And Ms. Nicotra pointed out that, of course, they had to uh, update uh, but it's a problem of, of you know, of, of money, and uh, yeah. it wasn't e uh, possible to. Now I have this doubt on the on the most recent version of Finale that I can go through the conversion. For in the in the other times, it's good. I I, I use this program. It's good for um, doing this um, stuff that was talking about. That George was talking about, and it works really well. Uh, the only problem is the conversion. Uh, if, if, uh, I think they haven't sorted out the problem yet, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But for older version of Finale, it works, in fact. Well, but you have to remember, there are two things about Braille Music Editor too. Uh, you have the old Braille Music Editor, that was one, which in my opinion was very limited and very bad. I purchased it. And the Braille Music Editor too, is way more recent. Yes, I do agree that they have a problem with the updating, but the difference that you have to be aware is the Braille Music One was based on um, on the on the opening the format the Finale format. The Braille Music Editor Two is based on Music XML, regardless what software you are using, either Finale, Sibelius, or Encore. So the or even MuseScore. So what you have to uh, make compatible is the versions of music XML that you are importing exporting these two softwares it will work normally in fact in or fact, not that's always exactly that's exactly and the the, the problem with finale was the, the, the as i exposed to and i've been talking to mr nicole train and he in fact uh, apologized for that problem with finale yeah. because the, the program was over the software wars uh, in the conservatory where i was i was studying the composition at the time so that's the only, yeah. the only, uh, um, the only problem with this software, break BMA two, BME two. Mm -hmm. It's uh, pretty, pretty good. It works pretty well, in fact. Andrea Bettini from Italy in conversation about Braille Music Editor 2 with Georges Gonzalves from Portugal. Bringing to a close this episode of Braillecast Extra and the first in the series entitled Braille Music, Let's Tackle the Basics, hosted on Clubhouse by Stuart Lawler and Roisin Dermity. You can follow Stuart and Roisin on Twitter. Stuart is at Stuart Lawler, that's S-T-U-A-R-T, L-A-W-L-E-R and Roisin is at Roisin Dermody R-O-I-S-I-N D-E-R-M-O-D-Y and we'll have links to those Twitter handles and to all of the other resources discussed on this episode in the show notes. The next in the series of Braille Music Let's Tackle the Basics will be an open house taking place on Monday the 10th of May uh, also on Clubhouse at 8pm 
in the UK. We'll put a link to that also in the show notes. We won't be recording that episode because it's an open house with no particular agenda and there won't be any tutorial content. So uh, we'll give people a bit of a safe space to ask questions who don't necessarily want to be recorded. However, the session after that is currently scheduled to take place at the end of May, the exact date to be decided, but probably the 24th or the 31st of May, again at 8pm, again on Clubhouse. And we do plan on recording that episode and probably publishing it on Brailcast in early June, probably around the 7th of June, it will be published. Next week on Brailcast Extra, we will be bringing you an archive of the Brailists Foundation Masterclass on BRF files. And uh, don't forget, of course, if you have any feedback, you can write to us at news at brailcast.com or you can write to the Brailists Foundation at help at brailists.org. For now, I've been Matthew Horsepool. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you again next time. Bye for now. Bye for now.